Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms this morning. Psalm chapter 127, or the 127th Psalm, however you want to say that. As we look at purposeful parenting, purpose, purposeful parenting, as we have this parent-child dedication this morning, uh, I always like to go back to these key passages that we review regularly here in our church about the task that God has given us. Everybody would like to be remembered for something. I, I pulled up a list of things people wanted to be remembered by, things they wanted on their, their headstone, their grave marker. Mel Blank, the one who did all the voices, Porky Pig and all them, he, he, on his it says, that's all, folks. Billy the Kid's marker says, he died as he lived. Dean Martin, everybody loves somebody sometime. Will Rogers, I never met a man I didn't like. Those are all good epitaphs for your gravestone. One of the men who's a winter Texans in our church, Ted Shuck, said he's already got his planned out. He wants on his headstone, I told you I was sick. I like that one. Ruth Bell Graham mentioned one time that she saw a construction sign and she says she wants that on her gravestone. It said, end of construction, thank you for your patience. Now our lives really are something that God is building day by day, moment by moment. With every breath we take, God is constructing, he's building a life in us and he has given us as parents this responsibility to be the general contractors, to be the ones who are part of that construction process in the lives of our children. So if you would follow along in Psalm 127, beginning in verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed or how, how uh, happy How joyful, how honored, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's take this first passage here and underscore this truth. If we're going to be the parents who on purpose build the lives that our children, the lives in our children that God desires. First of all, we need to cherish the parenting task. Number one, if you're going to be a parent who builds What God wants in the life of those kids, you need to cherish the parenting task. And how do we do that? I've got two ways to do that. Cherish that. You need to accept your child as a gift from God. Accept that child as a gift from God. We tell our uh, couples that we marry, that I marry, I said one time I've married a bunch of ladies. I really have. I've performed the marriages of all of those women, so I have to be careful the way I say that. In all the marriages that I have, I have been the one performing the ceremony, I try to get those people, the, the husband and the wife, to say, I accept you as God's gift to me. 
Makes all the difference in the world. If you will accept your spouse as God's perfect gift for you, God knew exactly what you needed. He gave you exactly what you need. You may not remember that. You may not think of that, but he gave you what you needed. You accept your spouse as God's gift. The Bible says in Psalm 127, I am to accept the children God has given me as a gift from God. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have thought at different times in your life of parenting, what in the world have I gotten into? And then, how many of you, without raising your hand, would say, and there have been times in my parenting where I've said, God, what were you doing when you gave me this child? We've all been through those kind of things. We have to go back to this truth to say, even though I don't understand it, even though it's a struggle, God gave me this child as a gift. I read recently Chuck Swindoll said, God doesn't waste parents. I like that. It may be a surprise that you're having a child. It may be some circumstance that's brought a child into your life, either by a foster parenting or adoption, or maybe a crisis in the family, or maybe as a grandparent, suddenly you're raising a child. It is no accident that God has allowed that to happen. So some of you need to make sure you get that in your brain and in your heart. God entrusted you with that little one and said, here you go. This is a gift. Accept it as a gift. Secondly, appreciate the, the early years. I don't know what y'all are talking about out there, but it must be good. Appreciate the early years. Enjoy them. The Bible says here in verse 5, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Uh, let me just paraphrase that. You ought to be not only thankful, accepting that child as a gift of God, but you ought to be celebrating and enjoying every single day with your child. Appreciate those early years. They go by quickly. I tell all the parents with little, little ones, cherish those early years. I hear it all the time. I think we probably said it too. If we ever make it through the preschool years, if we could ever get through the terrible twos, and then God gives you the thunderous threes or whatever. I don't know what they are. The fabulous fours. If you can ever get through that stage, and sometimes what we do as parents of, of little ones is we forget to cherish every single day as God's gift and appreciate it, even when it's not easy, even when it's difficult, because those days are going to be gone quickly. Right, folks? Kelly's grandmother, we call her Gigi because she's the great-grandmother in the family. Um, she was put in a nursing home at one point. She's probably in her 90s by then in a nursing home, and, and she opened her window, and all she could see was a brick wall. And I mean, you know, it's bad enough being in the nursing home for her, and because she is very, was a very lively, excited, doing stuff all the time, but she saw that brick wall, and she said, you know what? At least God gave me a window to see the brick wall. And she made a choice that she was going to enjoy every day in that nursing home. Folks, there's a choice that she made. God bless those days of her life. By the way, he gave her a room with a view eventually. Now she really has a room with a view. It's a choice that we make when circumstances aren't what we would like to say, God, you put me here, you've given me the circumstance, and I choose to accept it as a gift from you, and I will enjoy it. I will appreciate it. Number two, we're going to be the parents that God wants us to be. First thing we need to do is connect with the ultimate parent. It is no accident that God is our Heavenly Father, that He refers to Himself as our Father and us as His children. Connect with the ultimate parent. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema. That's a statement that Israel was to make daily, several times a day, saying that God is God. He is one God. Look at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontals of your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Connect with the ultimate parent. The first thing you have to do is you as a parent have to have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A personal faith. It cannot be the faith of your parents or your grandparents or your daddy who is a deacon or your uncle who is a preacher. It has to be your own personal faith. You can't say, I'm going to take my kids to church and let the church raise them and let them be Christians and that'll be good. You have to live it yourself. You have to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to develop godly kids. Because the parenting is the role. By the way, that's God's formula. God's formula was for the home to be the place where kids learn the faith. That's why he says, parents, you need, to, you need to know it yourself. You need to live it yourself, and then you pass it on. So that brings me to the second part. It's a practical faith. Not only a personal faith, but a practical faith. When you rise, when you lie down, when you sit... When you walk, it is a daily thing, a practical faith that you communicate to your kids. It's not something that's super pious. It's not something that only happens on Sunday morning. It's not something that, that is mystical and mysterious. It's a daily thing. Moment by moment, your kids see you walking in obedience with Jesus Christ. A practical faith. We're going to read in a minute about Moses and how his, faith, his parents' faith was very practical. Personal, practical and then it needs to be a passed on faith. A faith that you can hand off. A faith that you can pass on to the next generation. Verse, we didn't read this, but verse 10 says, when, um, well, further on in this verse here, verse 20 in this passage, when your son asks you, what does this mean? You can tell them. You can pass it on to them. See, a faith that's real, that's personal, that's practical, it can be something that you pass on to the next generation. You ever heard of someone leading someone to Christ who didn't know Christ themselves? It has happened, because the truth is the truth, but usually what God does is he allows you who have personal relationship with him to communicate that to others and pass it on. How are we doing, parents? How are you doing it? Passing the faith along to the next generation. I love the story about the missionary who showed up to go on a trek through the jungle and um, he was going to be shown the way. And so the, the guide pointed this way. And then the missionary said, I can't even see the path. And the guide said, follow me. I'm the path. I'm the only one who knows where I'm going. That's what parenting is. Not just to tell our kids, you ought to live this way. You ought to do that. We're pretty good at, about that, aren't we? This list of ought to's. But it is a matter of walking in obedience so our kids follow us. Practical, personal and then passed on, they get it. They get it. Statistically, you can look at 
the kids who come to know Christ at an early age, it's because the parents had a heart for the Lord. Just like verse 4 says, or verse 5, they, the parents, love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. Let me ask you this, parents. Let me ask you this, grandparents. Is your faith in Jesus Christ something that's worth passing on to your kids? You say, Pastor, that's a no-brainer, yes. Okay, let me ask you this. Is your practical Christian experience something worth passing on to your kids? It's a little different, isn't it? Do I want my kids to walk like I walk? Do I want them to have the relationship with Jesus Christ that I have? You have to answer that one. You have to answer what you're going to pass on to that next generation. Number three, parents, we need to choose tough love when necessary. We need to choose tough love when necessary. Now, I want to read a passage that will illustrate everything I've talked about today. It's in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter, actually, we want to start in chapter 1 to set the stage, okay? Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8. In the story of biblical history, the children of Israel are in Egypt. Jacob and his sons have grown to be a great nation within a nation. The Bible says in chapter 1, verse 8, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply in the event of war, and they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against those and depart from the land. The Bible goes on to say that Pharaoh appointed taskmasters to the people. Skip with me to verse 22. Actually, verse 21 it says, because the midwives fear God, he established the households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all the people, saying this, verse 22, Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Here's Pharaoh's edict. He was so afraid of the children of Israel growing as a nation and becoming a threat to him. He says, I want you to put to death every son who is born. So he told the, the uh, Hebrew, the midwives that were there dealing with them, you're to put to, to de- uh, death the firstborn sons. Of course, they chose many of them to disobey that edict. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. Well, actually, I can't remember what I gave them to put up there. I think we have verse 1, don't we? Chapter 2? Okay. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. We learn from chapter 6 that that's Amram and Jochebed. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. And she put it, the child in it and set it in the reeds by the bank of the Nile. How many of you have heard the story of Moses and the bulrushes? Yeah, that's one of our favorites. How many of you have built a basket in Sunday school and made it? We've done that. The Bible says that they tried to keep their son alive and keep him from the authorities, keep him from Pharaoh. But when they couldn't, she puts him, the mother puts him in a basket Verse 4 says, his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Now, there's a practical faith demonstrated here. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile. What a coincidence. Not. With her maidens walking alongside the Nile, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. 
And she opened it, and she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, just a little aside here, I've been throwing this in free. God made them so cute because when they cry, you have to say, oh, they really are cute. Because <laughs> that can be annoying, can't it? Crying babies? Yes. Crying babies like good intentions should be carried out immediately. I heard a pastor say that one time. God has them place the basket right where it's going to be seen. Strategically, God has Pharaoh's daughter there and she sees the baby. And then God does something in her heart and she sees the boy and she has compassion on him. She knew it was one of those babies that was being protected by the Hebrews. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, I love this verse 7. She's kind of hiding out over there watching. She steps out. Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. Isn't God good? So the woman took the child and nursed him. The Bible says the child grew. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she drew him out of the water. So Moses means to be drawn out. Now, God orchestrated this whole thing. Not only, does he, not only does he allow Moses to be kept alive, but he is, is taken in by Pharaoh's household. Someone needs to nurse that baby. Someone needs to get that baby to the point of being weaned, which was more, in those days, which was more than just an infant. They nursed them for a long time. They kept them for a long time, several years. That God orchestrated that the mother of Moses would be the one to raise that little boy in those formative years. I think it's incredible. And then, did you get that part? And I'll pay her. God's so good. I'll let you raise your child and I'll pay you to do that. Some of you wish you could get paid for raising your kids. Anybody right there? Now, let's talk about this tough love. This mother took that baby, put him in a basket, and just pushed him out into the river, into the Nile. There might have been some crocs out there, some snakes. But she knew it was the only way to protect her baby because she trusted God enough. The the Bible says in Hebrews, by faith, Moses' parents put him there and by faith, they left him in God's hands. That tough love, even though it may seem like a risky thing, a rough thing, a difficult thing, it has to be done. Two points under this one. Choose tough love. It will be required, parents. There will be times in your life as a parent where you will be required to demonstrate tough love. It's not if, but when. It is not easy to raise kids and to love them enough to do what's required. But it may be risky. Second truth there. It may be risky. Putting that child out there, boy, that illustrates that. It's risky raising kids to do whatever it takes. Tough love. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand again, are thankful that your parents showed tough love to you? Now, you had to get older to realize it. I did. To go back and appreciate those years, let me tell you, your kids long for tough love from you. 
One of the tragedies of our culture today is that kids don't have boundaries. It's because that parents say, well, I love them so much, I would never correct them. It doesn't work that way. Number four, just like Moses' parents, we need to commit the results to God. Commit the results to God. Hebrews 11.23 says, By faith, when Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, you leave the results with God. Now, there will be obstacles when you do that. Can you think of some obstacles? <laughs> there were plenty for Moses. Not just the, the danger of those infancy years, but the danger of turning Moses over and letting Pharaoh's family raise him. There were obstacles. But there are opportunities. There will be opportunities. So you'll run into obstacles raising your kids. And there will be opportunities. Well, what an opportunity for Moses to be protected. For him to be nursed by his own family. For him to be raised. For him to be uh, brought up in a, in a home that worshipped the Lord. That, that knew to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. And then to be given over to be trained in the way of the Egyptians. To have all that culture. Because God was raising up a deliverer. God's Plans are perfect. There's that song that was popular a few years ago, Butterfly Kisses. And one of the lines said, I must have, uh, oh, I better read it to you. I've learned this. With all that I've done wrong, I must have done something right. Parents, you are not perfect any more than I'm perfect. We have a perfect God, and he'll get in the middle of it, and he'll take those obstacles and he'll make them opportunities. Number five. Cast the mold early. Cast the mold early. Proverbs 22, we've all quoted that. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's to shape that child the way God designed him. Now, a couple of things here. Those tiny ones are still pliable. When they're little, when they're infants, when they're toddlers, they are pliable. You can still work with them. As they get older, parents, anybody with teenagers in here? Uh, yeah, boy, those hands went up fast. They're not so pliable anymore, are they? In fact, what I find is that, is that kids get to be old enough to be looking you in the eye. It's gone. Because you can tell them what for, and they'll tell you what for right back, probably. They're, they're not so, so much able to be shaped anymore start with those early years those tiny ones take advantage of that in our home we had a spanking stick and I think somebody said they call it the sad stick uh, we just went to the hardware store and got one of those little bitty paint sticks very very thin it's hard to hurt anybody with that but you can make some noise and you can sting a little little fanny and we spanked our kids for willful disobedience willful disobedience now there's an outcry today that says you can't do that don't spank your kids that's hurting them blah 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 well that's what our culture has tried look at our culture it's crazy now never spank in anger never spank for mistakes never spank in such a way that you would do physical harm to that child but spank for willful disobedience I had a young couple not too long ago, they said, we've gone from the small paint stick to the five-gallon paint stick. <laughs> so, what, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Those were hard years 
when our kids were little. Those were difficult. There were times when I would have to get up and leave a, a restaurant to take my kids out to spank them because of something they, they'd done willfully. See, kids know. Um, they know when they can get away with stuff. And you watch them. I watch them all the time. I observe that in all of my travels. Walmart, H-E-B, you know, wherever I am. <laughs> I watch parents with their kids. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Stop that. I mean it. I really mean it. Okay. One, two, when's the kid going to do what he's supposed to do? At 10, probably. They'll let you go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, here I come. I'm coming up on 10. And then they might turn loose or do whatever they're supposed to do. Parents need to say it and mean it and respond. They're just looking for consistency. I could park on that one a long time. Tiny ones are still pliable. But the time will pass quickly. We've already said that. It'll go by that fast. I want you to look at a picture. There's a father and a son or a daughter. I'm not sure. This is one of my favorite pictures of me and my son. Kelly took that before they had cool digital cameras, you know. She was sitting in the car. We were walking out of a gas station. And, and it just, for me, captures... My son walking alongside me in my footsteps, and I cherish that. There was a day when Cameron was just, he was probably maybe five years older than that, and something had happened, I can't remember what it was, but it ended up with us sitting on the floor in his bedroom and having one of those um, talks, you know, serious talks. Some people call it come to Jesus talk. And in the midst of that discipline, correction, whatever we were trying to do that day with him, he just broke and began to weep. And he said these words. He said, Dad, I feel like nothing I do is ever good enough. Whew. Now, now, as a dad, you know what I said right back to him? I said, son, that's interesting because I feel like as a dad, nothing I ever do is good enough for you. And he looked at me. And we cried, and we cried, and I don't know what we ever got resolved that day. But I do know this much, that, that we were both so struggling to be what the other one wanted, that we just wanted to please each other. And he saw a real dad that day, who loved him enough to say, man, I'm struggling, son. And I saw a little boy who loved his dad enough to say, dad, I'm trying my best. God reminded me that day, and he reminds me all the time whenever I look at this, that God gave me this responsibility. It's a privilege to be intentional about raising a kid who is going to take the faith, who he can pass it on to. That's what God wants. When Cameron was that age, I used to preach this same sermon, same passages anyway, different, different sermon, but same text. And I used to wonder sometime deep down inside, can I still preach this and say it works? <laughs> and Cameron's 22 now, and he's living for the Lord, loves the Lord with all his heart, has a passion for teenagers, he's in ministry. Um, and I go back to the fact that, that we just tried to be real and consistent in his life. So he's still walking like I walk, and I thank God for that.
Are, are you really and truly, as parents, wanting your kids to walk like you walk? If not, if your walk isn't what it ought to be, and what, what better time to say, Lord, I want to be in line with you right now. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you need a personal faith in him to pass it on. If you're a teenager, or maybe even younger, and you haven't been the model kid, it might be a good time to say, Mom, Dad, I'm right here, I'm trying. Be patient with me. God's not finished. Because I'm still under construction. Let's pray together.